Hi and welcome to Defining Boundaries, a podcast about the interesting characters from our surveying and spatial industry and their unique perspectives on life and our industry. I'm Peter Cox and I use my 25 years of contacts as a surveyor and teacher to dig deep into the lives of others. Each fortnight, I delve into the life and times of people from all over the world who share the same profession and passions. Don't forget to subscribe to my channel, like, comment, feel free to share with your friends. Do you have a question about the surveying or spatial industry? Or would you like to join me for a chat? Or would you like to hear from someone in particular? If so, send me a message on LinkedIn or Instagram and we can catch up. This week, join me while I chat with Paul Burrows, the Scanning Solutions Manager at Leica Geosystems, all the way from the UK. So grab your drink, sit back and relax while we chat. With Peter Cox. Hi and welcome to Defining Boundaries. My guest today is Paul Burrows, also known as the Reality Capture Guy. Paul is the Scanning Solutions Manager at Leica Geosystems in England. He spent his youth in a small village called Toddington in Bedfordshire, about an hour's drive northwest of London. With aspirations of being a graphic artist, actor or historian, he began his career in archaeology before moving to a more IT-based career path. His current position focuses on scanning options and support within the surveying industry. In his downtime, Paul enjoys walking, running, gaming, reading. Although I know he hasn't got much time for a lot of that. <laughs> He's uh, very busy on the social media with his little podcast bits and videos. So uh, something you guys need to go and check out. Um, it is on his to-do list for making time uh, to do some of those things. Reading, I know he mentioned not long ago that now that uh, we're in 2021, he's going to try and make a bit more time. <laughs> Paul is well known on social media platforms for bringing the information to the people. Hi, Paul, and welcome, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Petter. Thanks for the introduction. I forgot some of the things I'd mentioned in my uh, in my comments there. I was like, oh God, how does she know that? Ah, yeah. See, people um, people quite often forget what they've written in there. And some people actually go, oh, I was just joking when I said that. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's all true. It's just I completely forgot. It's when it's when you said had had aspired to be a graphic designer or an actor and stuff. And I was like, oh yeah, I did actually. Yeah, okay. So interesting. There you go. Um, and one thing before we move on, um, it's Peter, not Petter. Oh, sorry, Peter. That's okay. You said both before when we were chatting, so I didn't really pick up on it. So, but just for next time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're not involved with the uh, cruelty to animals or the and. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't belong to any of that. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, so um, you grew up in Toddington. Mm-hmm. So yeah. is that is like, is it a small town or it's like? Just, I tell you what, it's it's so weird looking back because when you when you're there growing up, 
in your little bubble, which is your village with all yeah. your friends and your community. You don't think of it as small or strange or antiquated or anything. And you just you just get on with life and you enjoy it until you're kind of 18, 19 and you go off to university or something. And then you suddenly realise that this, there's this whole world outside <laughs> this little ecosystem. But, it, you know, I had a, I had a fantastic youth growing up um you know I just kind of I just played with my mates I just played tennis I just walked in the fields and stuff because we live right next to a farm um you know just a really really nice childhood with you know lots of holidays and everything but then when you go back now it's still a beautiful little village but you're yeah. kind of like well this is a bit strange because <laughs> um because whilst I you know I live in a village which is kind of now I live in a village but it's a much more you know built up it's much more bustling much busier and okay. it's very close very close to a town mm -hmm. you kind of look back and go wow yeah you, you sometimes visit and just think that's a little bit not backward it's not the right word it's just it's just a small you know it's just a small village and, yeah um everyone knows everyone yes. you know I go for a walk with my mum or used to be able to before corona you go for a walk with your mum with the dog down the village and it's like every two minutes you'd be stopping talking to someone like, oh, come <laughs> on <laughs> hurry up so it, you know it's a different world but what was you know what was interesting was um you know now when you go back um just because of the way the world has kind of gone in terms of cost of real estate and everything there's a lot there's a lot less children in that village now oh. because, of the cost, because the cost of living is so high so my mum my mum's close where we grew up you know when we grew up there was just you know every night there was just loads of children yeah. you know all, all all you know playing out and running around and it's just not like that anymore because there's there's not as many families with children because oh, they can't afford to live there such a so, shame isn't it yeah it's a really it's a really you know the village now is a bit of a, an aging population but I think that's probably the same in a lot of places and a lot of you know a lot of younger families move to the city and then they live in the city for 10-15 years and then they mm -hmm. try and move back to the countryside yeah um yeah anyway as a complete aside it, it it was just you know it's an eye-opener it was an eye-opener when I you know started um university and moved away from home and you start suddenly start realizing that there's all these other places and you know I always used to think England was quite small but then you start driving around and moving around actually it's, you know it's quite a big place but it's just <laughs> Just, it's just a lot of people it, not compared to australia I, was say, I think we think it's quite small <laughs> <laughs> well, it is yeah yeah <laughs> but we have a lot more people in a much smaller space most definitely yeah, yeah. Sure. um yeah. so you talked about going to university you was was archaeology like your first choice at at uni yeah, that's, no that's really interesting because um you know when you mentioned about what i aspired to do you know, I, I originally i when I was applying for universities, I had a really weird mix of um, acting courses and um, graphic design courses. Uh -huh. That was what I decided I was going to do when I was doing my A-levels. And I managed to get into quite a few um, universities. And then I don't know what I don't know what happened, but I just kind of changed my mind and just I couldn't decide where what I wanted to do, where I wanted to go. And I just took a year out and I just said to um I said to my dad I wanted to take a year out and he said that's fine as long as you're working as long as you're earning money and putting yeah. some away for university so that's that's absolutely fine so that's what I did and I just got a really bog standard job in my uh, in my year out just kind of you know close to home and just earning some money but then doing I went what? to uni doing what <laughs> working in a clothes I was working in a clothes store <laughs> I was selling I, I was I first I started working at Halfords which is like a motor like a motor service place and then okay. um and I worked in a clothes store I actually got a really good job offer for Monarch Airlines doing like a, being an engineer and oh. uh, I turned it I turned it down because I thought if I take this job I'm not going to go to university I was oh. like I, I could just see this career path kind of ahead of me and I was like actually if I take that job I, I just know that I'm not going to leave so yeah. um 
I ended up um, doing, like I said, this re- relatively dead end job to earn some earn some money. <laughs> and then um, I just, I went to university and I did computer animation and visualization at this National Center for Computer Animation, which was based down in Bournemouth. And, and I was really excited because obviously it was like on the back end of, um, you know, like the wave of Toy Story and Shrek and all these. Oh, kind of- OK, yeah. And I was I was dead excited because I was very artistic. That's why I wanted to do graphic design, really mm-hmm. creative. And, um, and that's what my passion was, was the kind of the artistic side. And then I realized very quickly into the course, it was very heavily based around a lot of um, mathematics, you know, degree level maths and um, it's an element of programming. And my background wasn't that. You know, my brain it doesn't struggle but you know I, I gave I didn't do maths a level because I wasn't particularly you know I got an a an a in my GCSEs but I wasn't it wasn't something that I enjoyed mm. and uh so I, I I did the course for a year um, I failed two mo- modules miserably and then I managed to I think I I think I passed I retook them and I passed one of them so I had one module which I'd failed for the year so I you know out of 10 modules I did quite well and I think it was the, I think it was the programming one that I failed and um, my, uh, they said, oh, you, can, you, can, you can't do the second year alongside this module. You have to do the whole first year again. And mm-hmm. I just went, but I've, I've completed everything by this one module. And they yeah. said, well, okay, just do that one module. And I went, what am I going to do for the, the other 90% of the time? Crazy, and, uh, and I just thought, this is mad. So I, uh, my mum my was just like, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to quit? Do you want to change? Do you want to go to a different university? I was like, no, I, I love where I am yeah um what can I do so I kind of went through the prospectus and my wife always jokes because I got to a and went archaeology yeah I'll do that (laughs) (laughs) but I'd always I'd always had a passion for history so I did history a level Mm -hmm. and uh, history GCSE and I just you know mad into history still still love history and um and uh obviously archaeology was good and it was also it was a bachelor of science degree okay so i and which a lot of the archaeology degrees around the country in the uk are actually bas um and bsc is kind of a little bit more highly regarded and i just thought you know what yeah i'm I'm gonna do it it's kind of got a scientific slant and um thankfully there was a lot of it involved now as well you know then Mm -hmm. and more so now you know it's obviously you know the visualization aspect and gpr and uh, you know just reconstructions of past you know um you know, societies events and places yeah and so i did it that's it that was the decision and um right. yeah it was three three years so in, in the end i did four years at university because obviously i did a year of the computer animation but that mm-hmm. really set me in good stead four. for the laser scanning yes because i suddenly discovered i think i was in the second year and I suddenly discovered uh, object-based scanning. So we were doing, oh, we were out in the Isle of Man doing a dig and uh, they'd got this Konica Minolta Vivid, uh, it's called, it's like a mid-range object scanner. It's like a turntable. So you put your rock on the turntable and you would scan it and create a 3D model. And all of a sudden I was like, well, wait a second, wait a second, this is really interesting. Um, and then I did some, I did some scanning of rocks and bits and pieces and uh, anyway, one thing led to another and I, and I finished university and um, I got a job in an e-commerce firm of all places. You know, I moved back, moved back to with my now wife from um, Bournemouth and we came up to the West Midlands and I just needed a job. So I got a job in an e-commerce uh, business, um, effectively, effectively selling like online, online, uh, online e-commerce platforms. 
So and then, something uh, completely different to what you've just studied for the last. Exactly. But again, you know, <laughs> I knew in my heart that actually I didn't really want to be an archaeologist. It was just kind of like a pathway to doing something else. Yeah. And uh, so I did the uh, I did the degree. Uh, sorry, I did the, I did that job. And then I was constantly looking for other jobs, just yeah. constantly looking for jobs at the university because we're very close to the University of Birmingham and um, anyway this job came up and it was the it was at the University of Birmingham it was for the it was for Birmingham Archaeology oh. which was part of the Institute of Archaeology and Antiquities at, at the uni and it was an IT project officer mm-hmm. and I thought second IT archaeology you oh. know I, 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 I can see this work. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I I went for the interview and, uh, you know, thankfully I got the job and basically I got to play with really cool technology all day, every day, you know, in amongst looking after laptops and PCs and making sure all the software is up to speed on everyone's machines. I got access to Leica scanners, Konica scanners. Uh Um, We had a Stein Bickler, which is this, you know, object scanner as well. So I, I was, and I was just trying to kind of develop products around the stuff that we had. And it was to try and create some kind of commercial angle on stuff. And, uh, and then lo and behold, it was really interesting. We were like, all oh, right, we're going to have a day. We're going to organize a day where we get architects to come in and see this laser scanning technology and talk about 3D laser scanning and see if we can sell our services to them. So anyway, we organized the day. And uh, two of the guys who are good friends from Leica Geosystems came along to the event. Huh. And I was at the front and I was presenting and I was talking about the scanners and showing them the data and what we could do with it. And just, you know, I had a really good day. And then at the end of the day, maybe it was a couple of days after I got a phone call from um, uh, one of the guys from Leica. It was just like, oh, have you ever considered joining Leica? Huh? I was like, uh, no, but yes. Yeah. But yeah. And anyway, I, yeah. So I, it was just complete fate. That yeah. this that, that Tim Tim Badley is his name, uh, and he he's you know absolute sort of legend in the kind of surveying world, kind of done seismic stuff all around the world, okay. and then was the sales manager in the UK and stuff, and um, he uh, he basically offered me this. Well, he didn't offer me the job. He said come for an interview, and then a couple of months later, I was working for like a geosystem. So I think that was probably 2000, 2007. So it's coming up 14 years since I've been with Leica Geosystems and, uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's just completely fate that uh, he happened to be at that meeting yep. and happened to see something in me. And, uh, and, and there you go. I, I joined Leica and I haven't looked back since. Amazing. It, going from working in a clothes shop. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, well, I could tell you about when I worked in McDonald's as well, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's going back a little bit further. <laughs> well, when I was, if that was when I was doing my A levels and I had a really, really crappy Vauxhall Nova car. And <laughs> obviously, I wanted to cart my then girlfriend or girlfriends around. And, um, and uh, the only way to pay for it was working very, very long shifts at McDonald's after <laughs> I finished my A levels. So I, I, every Friday, I'd leave school at three and I'd get to work at four and then I'd work from about four until two in the morning. And then I'd go back the next day about seven for the breakfast shift and do a full day on a Saturday. Oh. So I was like, and I must've been, must've only been 17. Yeah, yeah. I think 16 initially and then 17, but yeah, working in McDonald's taught me some really, really important life lessons. Actually, it sounds People dark, that. but um, you know, firstly it made me respect people 
Um, yeah. And also the hard work ethic. You know, at the end of the day, I've always been a hard worker. I, I had a paper round when I was thirteen. You know, yeah. I you know, there's very there's very few points in my life where I haven't been working. Yeah. Um, which is why I found you know when we had furlough in the UK, I found that really hard because I think that was the first kind of forced period of of not working that I'd ever had because they were like right stop work and we will tell you to come back when when we're ready to have you back and you know it's that was really really tough so I ended up you know remodeling my house and my garden because that's all I had to do yeah so so um when when did that happen was that yeah yeah that was in um that was in March March? April time so I think yeah when we had the lockdown it was maybe a couple of weeks after lockdown was announced and uh obviously you know any business in this situation a sales organization if your sales drop you need to somehow cut, cut costs and the easiest way to cut costs is the, is the human cost and um yeah, luckily there were some schemes in place in europe and the uk to allow the government to take the shortfall for some mm-hmm. of the uh some of the wages for people mm. and uh, and that's you know they and they obviously took advantage of that i think they did different schemes in different countries some countries they were only allowed to work 50 percent of their hours and then the government would pay the remaining 50 percent, for example yeah. but uh, that for me was really hard because as well as that they said you've got to be careful about what you put out on social media because that's all technically deemed work so kind Uh of for, for, for three for three months, I almost kind of had a bit of radio silence on social media because yeah. I was a bit wary that anyone would pick up on that and think that I was continuing to work. So that was yeah, also right. um, also very strange. But yeah, that's that's the nature of the beast. You know, I, I probably 80% of my friends were on furlough. Mm. Anyone that was working in the financial industry wasn't. Uh, everyone yeah. just continued to work. Um, so it was, uh, oops, sorry, one second close down this window <laughs> um but yeah it's uh it's all right my when you're working on a laptop and you've got these random notifications coming up but yeah it, that was um yeah that was really that was really hard I think it's hard for a lot of people to suddenly say right you've got to stop working because yeah. you know that's all we've ever known for such yes. a long period of time yeah so, was uh, that three was that for three months or it was longer than that no I think I think I, yeah, it was just under three months I think I, I was on yeah, furlough yeah. in the and, um, you know, I know people who were on it for a lot, lot longer, you know, yeah. and, uh, some people have then been plunged back into it again with this next lockdown. Yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, and a lot of people have lost livelihoods and, you know, there's a lot of people who, you know, are suffering very badly from it. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that is the nature of that is the nature of the beast. I think the, I think, you know, I don't want to blow the trumpet of the government. But I think they've done the best they can under the circumstances. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's interesting reading news from around the world in different countries and how different people have approached it and also the you know the the feelings and the sentiments from the people who are in those countries as well but you know at the end of the day it's an, it, it, i hate to use the word because everyone overuses it but it's in it is unprecedented it you know, is. We, <laughs> we, yeah. it's it's uh how do you deal with this and some mm-hmm. countries who have just ignored it are suffering really really badly you know if you look at what's happened in brazil and i think sweden as well they were trying to kind of just say no nah, don't worry about it <laughs> and then yeah it's uh, uh, it's hard but anyway we digress we digress that's okay <laughs> so you got the job at Leica mm-hmm. just selling the scanning equipment or what yeah effectively what? I was like I was like um I think I was called a project engineer which sounds very very fancy I think my, my people always used to laugh at me because I think it was UK high definition survey project engineer uh-huh 
they were like, what's that? You're not an engineer, you're an archaeologist. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, and actually, it, you know, it meant just that it was, it was you, you were engineering projects, effectively. You, right. were, you were effectively a sales engineer. Yeah. Right? But um, it was really interesting because obviously I had really old clunky kit that I had to sell back in the day in 2007. No. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was initially, it was the scan station, which was the scan station and then two batteries and then the tripods and the targets and all the boxes. And I had this massive estate car, which looked like a hearse <laughs> to carry all this stuff around in. And then every night I had to lug it back in from the hearse into my house. And that, back then I lived in this little two up, two down, like kind of little cottage thing. Oh, yeah. Like, no space my wife used to be furious you know what the hell is all this stuff in the house <laughs> and then I've gone from that to seeing the scan station 2 then the c10 then the p series and the rtc and then the blk to go so everything's just got smaller and smaller and smaller to the yes. point now where you've got sales guys you know jumping on trains and uh or putting stuff in their backpacks and yeah. you know that is that is normality so to see that progress is really really exciting and to be part of that progress and growing the business was really mm. exciting as well it, it, yeah it would be a massive difference for that 14 years of of how things have changed in technology yeah. and the things that they can do with with it all now it's um i, I think what's interesting to me as well is you don't realize the speed of change yes. until you look back and just and just take stock and go wait a second only 14 years ago or whatever i was running around with a, a an instrument which did you know 4000 points per second and now i've got an instrument in my hand that i can walk around and collect in data in real time and i'm collecting 420000 points a second uh, it's just you know and also the design ethic and just everything's just everything felt very kind of you know, for want of a better word, amateur at the beginning, it was kind mm -hmm. of, yes, it was a product, but it was kind of thrown together in this big box. And now everything is now, you know, if you look at the design of the BLK 360 or the BLK to go, everything's very sleek and They're sexy very, yeah, smooth and, and kind of Apple-esque. And uh, yeah, it's, 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 sorry, I'm just trying to get, move some more stuff off my screen here, Peter, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, sorry. Um, but yeah, I think it, what, what was really interesting to me as well, I don't know whether you found this in your career, I don't know, you know what, what your background is, but I never thought I'd be with a business this long. Ah, okay, yeah. Like, because, you know, it was always, when I was younger, it was like you had a career, you know, my dad had a career and my dad was with the civil service for 40 years. And I always used to think 40 years with like one organisation? Yes. How do you deal with that? You know, but actually, you know, I've been here 14 years and, it, and it's gone so fast um and I've held so many different roles and done had so many opportunities that you kind of just you forget about the time and then you look back and realize the progress that's been made mm. uh, and then the friends that you kind of made or they've moved on and but the one thing that I will say about Leica is the number of people who stay here for the long haul yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of people who have been here a very very long time um, I guess it goes to show um you know they're obviously a good company to their employees um the the technology that they're always wanting to find that next new thing so it keeps people engaged and and things like that I, you know that that's how i would see it anyway yeah i think i think that we we all know you know there's this kind of effectively this 
team which is looking after the blk products uh, you know very disruptive uh, very agile everyone you know in inverted commas agile but you know having agile software teams and having agile hardware teams and moving in the direction of the market very very quickly that's that's how you build success yeah. um you still have your standard you know your standard project products like your, you know, your total stations and your gps and everything but ultimately, yeah, you've got these very disruptive products um, sort of uh, quite sparky. Yeah, they're kind of yeah. happening left, right and center. And some things just come out of left field entirely, you know, like um, the BLK 24-7. You know, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I'm sure a very, very only a very s- small percentage of people knew about that. But, you know, have it like a moving into the market of creating security sensors from the LiDAR technology that have been developed for the BLK 360 and BLK to go. It just you didn't see it coming. Mm. But, you know, that's created a whole new market, a whole new ecosystem, a whole new software workflow. You need more salespeople, different sales tactics. You know, and then it just creates a whole it busts open a whole new market. Yeah. So I think I think you think you're right, Peter. It's um, it is that kind of innovation keeps people in because they know that they're with probably, you know, they know that they're with the, the best of the best. And, mm. and why why move effectively? Yeah. yeah. How, how did you go um, having the background that you've got, going into a scanning, well, into the scanning section of this big company and learning, did you know much about, and I know you're not just for the surveying, but that's a big part of it, um, the surveying sector when it comes to the scanning software, um, the scanning mm-hmm. equipment and all that sort of stuff. Did you have to learn a lot about our side of the industry to be able to um, sell to the surveyors or sell to I, the- I, Do you know what? I absolutely did. I had to learn hard and fast. And I made some really epic failures earlier on in the, in the, in the game. Uh-huh. I had one, conversa- one conversation stands out with me. And I was talking to, I won't name him, but I was talking to a guy who's, who's very, very, he's a very well-known surveyor in the UK and um, we were talking and I went to show him this scanner and he was asking about scale factors okay and I just and I just didn't have a clue what he was talking about and mm-hmm. I just and I just went I, I had to admit I, I don't know what you're talking about I really and, and he was just like scale factors come on and like looked at me like I was an idiot and I was because I was an idiot because I didn't know um about scale factors and then um you know a couple of other conversations you know I, I'd done simple kind of traversing and basic surveying as part of archaeology you know, yes. but with you know, we'd done leveling and bits and pieces but we'd learned some pretty old techniques for surveying actually to be honest um but yeah, I'd had a, I have a, had a couple of conversations. Then you start talking about you know control, and you start talking about you know uh, traversing and linking it into control networks, and all these discussions. And and um, yeah, I had to learn fast. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and and I luckily luckily for me, I had some great colleagues. I had Tim, who, who was the sales manager, yeah, and uh, who was my colleague Stephen Ramsey, um, and for a colleague for a long time, and they both taught me an awful lot because they were both surveyors. You know, Tim ah, okay. was an old school surveyor and Steve used to work for um, a big surveying firm down in London. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the, my reference points for surveying and everything came from those guys. But, you know, I, I would I would never consider myself a surveyor. Mm. You know, never. You know, I could, I, you wouldn't send me out with a total station to go and do a topographic. That's not me. But, you know, if you send me out with a scanner, a Pegasus, a BLK to go, or maybe even a UAV, I've got the skill sets to, to bring that back together. But if you were then to say, you know, how do you, you know, what about the control points for that job? 
well I know how to do it yes I know how to apply it but you wouldn't send me out with a tell station to do it necessarily um, and I think what's interesting is there's a lot of people like me out there who aren't traditional surveyors no. um, and there are a lot of people coming into the industry who are what I would consider kind of reality capture specialists they're not surveyors yeah um, but ultimately you do still need the trained surveyors and that's what we're finding now you know that's why there's various initiatives you know you look at like um, get kids into survey yeah is we you still need that understanding um and uh, you know those people who are trained surveyors are well positioned to do very well for themselves in the future because they'll stand out and that's why we see such an influx of people from europe into the uk surveying market because there's not many schools offering it in the uk ah, um, okay. There's a, there's a couple of big ones. You've got University of Newcastle. I think there's University of Nottingham and then UEL in London. Maybe there's a few others, but, you know, they're the big ones. And they're yeah. not turning out the number of surveyors that we need, which is why so many people come and work in the UK. Yeah, OK. So you've got the um, the surveying school. Is that part yeah. of the university or that's like a... Um, no, the, survey, the surveying school... Is, I think is completely separate. I want to say it's part of the TSA or run by the TSA and there's various sponsors from corporate companies like Leica and, and uh -huh. other manufacturers. Um, they, I used to do quite a bit with them actually when I worked uh, as a sales guy. Um, mm -hmm. Every few months I'd go in and I'd do maybe an afternoon session all about laser scanning. Yeah. Okay. So these guys were learning about total stations and they were doing, you know, Travis adjustments and topper surveys and all this other stuff. And then I'd go in there and go, oh, by the way, here's this fantastic scanner and here's all the stuff <laughs> you can do. Yeah. And, uh, and obviously, yeah, but yeah, they were ultimately, you know, even in training, they were more skilled a surveyor than I, I am. Yeah. Um, but we were showing them a different angle, which was, you know, reality capture. Mm. And it was always, always interesting. But uh, that they, they do serve a really good purpose. Unfortunately, due to COVID, I think they've been hit quite hard in terms of being able to um, educate. Yes. But, uh, hopefully yeah. that'll come back online soon. Yeah. So do they give a qualification of any, like, uh, of any sort or they just do small training things or how, how did you know? I think they must, I think they must do qualifications. I think because mm. people come out of the back end, you know, but they, pe what people typically tend to do is they'll be working for a business yeah, and then they'll kind of get two weeks release to go and do a course or they'll do a course every Friday for six months or something, yeah. you know, it, okay. it's it, the, way, the way that it operates. So I would imagine a lot of them are either junior surveyors who are getting trained up or, yeah. I think they've started doing like things like fundamentals of BIM now as well. Ah, okay. Well, see that you know that's a big area as well. Um, you yeah. know, within the whole, what do you call it, construction industry? I don't. Yeah, you know, you've got your engineers that um, we're learning to do. Well, we're, we're doing partial BIM stuff, and there you've got surveyors doing BIM and architect architects doing it. So there's all these different industries that are kind of pulling in together in in the BIM yeah as well I agree. I mean, we, we always talk about we, you know we always talk about BIM as collaboration and I think it is the purest form of that because you yeah. have so many disciplines coming together um working together to, to 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 you know to basically digitalize the whole construction process to make yeah. sure that it's as efficient as possible yeah. it's always really interesting to me I'm working on a presentation at the minute um looking at the inefficiencies in digital construction and um, how much waste and stuff there is where digital processes aren't involved and stuck to. Okay. So you know, it's, it's really important. I think what's really interesting is I remember having a conversation with, um, again, my manager back in, I want to say, 
maybe it was 2010 or 2011 and he was just going it's all it's all going to be about BIM and we were like yeah what's BIM and then we looked at some white papers and we looked at some uh you know various magazine articles and we started the process very early on then of making sure that you know we were close to the market so we were involved in BIM show live in the UK um but what's really interesting to see now is most surveying businesses in the UK will have BIM expertise in-house and when I say BIM expertise I don't necessarily mean they've got someone who is a uh, you know a um a BIM manager as such but they'll certainly have people who are capable of generating uh, as-built data from scan data which is yes. adhering to various BIM LOD rules and regs and stuff yeah so you know if I think about some of the biggest ones in the UK alone you know they've, they've all got let's say you know I want to say I want to I want to say Revit departments but that's not what I mean I want to say <laughs> BIM departments they, you know I love a lot of them are using Revit obviously I was going to say yeah Revit's what Revit's probably one of the big ones that does get used yeah for I think you know Revit's very good from the point of view of uh, you know it supports cloud work supports the you know RCP format as well so you know it is it is naturally a much more widely adopted program but yeah I often see that thing on LinkedIn of BIM does not equal Revit and you're like well yeah that's true um you know we obviously now we have um because hexagon owns Brixis we have Brixcad BIM um so oh, Brixcad yes. BIM actually you know that's also now growing in popularity as well and that will obviously take Cloudworks uh, Cloudworks plugin and also any you know external data sources yeah. so going back to your going back to your comment yeah I, th I think the growth of um BIM certainly you know we we've seen if you if you consider BIM as part of our building construction segment you know if we look at the business the segments building construction is booming yeah um, and not necessarily not necessarily because the market is booming because i'm not even sure what the construction market is doing at the moment i know it's mm. certainly probably a lot quieter this year than it was in the last three or four years <laughs> but um construction is one of the things that has been kept open as part of this lockdown so the government sees it as a massive um as a map of massive importance you know construction of hs2 in the uk is carried on regardless of covid restrictions uh, buildings have carried on um it's uh, it, it's hugely important and, and and improving the efficiency is hugely important which is where obviously you know um understanding bim and using bim comes in mm. so i think I'm, I'm just i'm just excited to see i think we're at the beginning of a wave really in terms of adoption of reality capture data and construction because we are making really big headway and if you look at the, the number of sales we make into the yeah. construction it's increased massively since we introduced the rtc 360 okay it's changed considerably because of like i said to you before you're wearing it on a back you, it's, it's in yes. a backpack now um i mean how crazy is that that you can carry something around like that and just off you go yeah 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 and then but then you'll always have the surveyors come back to you and go well yes but how is it controlled are you using targets <laughs> how does it and and yeah you know if you want to make sure then yes you do need to link it to control and targets and everything we, we fully understand that but so it's interesting how people assume we market the product as a solution that doesn't need, need targets and that's yeah. not actually at all how we market the solution maybe that's a, a misconception i i think that's i think that's a big thing that you get a lot of surveyors who um, do get disgruntled with the, um, you know, the scanning and all these handhelds and walk arounds and stuff because, you know, you're not tying it into control. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What is the but job then, needed yeah. for? Does it need control or does it not need control? Exactly. What do you I was just about to say. Yeah, I think that's exactly okay. the point, Peter. Uh, you, know, you, you have to understand 
where it is and isn't needed and there's certain jobs that, that don't require it at mm -hmm. all um but obviously a lot of jobs in construction do so making yeah. sure it's all you know neatly tied together yeah. and in particularly against the design model as well so i think a big thing is um actually getting clients to understand what they're asking for and what they want their end result to be to be able to say well if this is what you want then this is what you need to do kind of thing um, because mm -hmm. they just think, oh, scanning and I get this 3D image and I get all of this stuff, but don't actually. But do you think that's getting better? Do you think do you think people are getting better at asking for what they need? Or do you think that's down to the jobs of the surveyors to say, look, here's your plethora of things that you can ask for and you need to make the decision? Or, or do you think that's getting better? No, I think there's still a fair way to go. I think that, you know, a client sort of says, oh, we want X, Y, Z. And then you sort of have to go, go, okay, well, hang on a minute. What do you need it for? Because if you want this, this and this, you're not going to be able to do this. You know, we have to still explain to the clients what they're getting, what they're asking for, that they actually understand what they're getting because they do actually need those extra three steps of, of work within the process to get what they actually really need out of, out of it, you know, sort of thing. So I think they're still... A way to go i think people don't understand the full um what what is scanning what you get for it how it all ties together all, all that kind of yeah. stuff and you know you talked about no. your lids you know who yeah not many people know what an lid is you know mm -hmm. what what um you know what do we have our 100 200s whatever they are you know i don't do a lot with scanning but i know what they are and i know the differences in you know the quality of what you're getting do you want that bolt to actually look like a real bolt or do you just want this little fuzzy bit you know pipe or whatever it may be you know sort of thing so they're the things that you still have to be explaining to I think, I think it's interesting because there, I saw recently, I saw it last year, maybe the year before, there was, a, I wouldn't say a bit of a backlash against point clouds, but some people very much like saying, you know, almost like there's too much information. How do we manage it? Blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, if you let me sit down and have a conversation with you, I can tell you the reasons why you're having trouble with this point cloud. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not using the right tools to manage it. You know, you're not using limit boxes, clip boxes. You're not using... Uh, true spaces within cloudworks to navigate correctly through it there's just to me you know there's people that say oh yeah i want a mesh it's lightweight but what what they don't realize when they're asking for a mesh it's lightweight is the reason it's lightweight is because you're stripping out you know almost maybe 50 60 maybe even a 98 percent of the data to leave you with points that you can sparsely create a mesh uh -huh. um, and then there's a lot of interpolation and so mm -hmm. it might be lightweight and it might look relatively good but actually in terms of doing an as-built verification it's wrong yeah um so you know we we have tools to rapidly generate meshes we've got a couple of different ways but actually having that conversation with customers and, and, and getting away from some of the negativity surrounding it you know one person's had one bad experience with a point cloud and all of a sudden the whole world's you know yes. aware of this problem and uh i think for me you know fundamentally the the there is far more positive experiences with reality capture data than there are negative ones mm -hmm. you know i think ones where they have been negative like you say are where they've not been specified correctly they've either given them too much data or too yeah. little data not enough coverage they've not delivered in the right formats yeah um and they're all conversations that need to be had 
they need they? to be had. And I think, you know, that there may still be, I mean, I know very little about, you know, the scanning and I know, you know, the, the different programs and stuff. I've never sat down and uh, done anything with any of the data or anything like that. So, you know, I've only just come back into the industry from, from a teaching position. So all of this, you know, new technology is very new to me in the sense of, you know, seeing it, using it and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, just picking up what, you know, the crews sort of say about, you know, what they're doing or how they're doing it and explaining bits and pieces. And they still say, you know, oh, yeah, we got this job and they didn't do this and they didn't do that. So I think there's a lot of people out there that don't actually know what, what they need to do like you said they mm. haven't had those conversations or they haven't done the training or uh, you know i don't know um and then there's some people out there who are just so spot on and know every little bit of what they need to do to get mm. out of that that point cloud of you know that sort of thing so yeah i think it's, and there is you know as with any or any you know industry there is varying degrees of um professionalism and uh understanding and uh, you know it's really interesting to me that you know we we talked to well, i took you know i won't name names of course but you know talk no. to some big organizations who you assume know what they want and uh assume you know all may almost maybe have people in place to have these kind of questions answered yeah. and you're almost starting from scratch and you think well if, if this is an organization that has managed to survive x number of hundred years or whatever or 50 uh -huh. years or 100 years <laughs> Yeah. How how do they run their business if they're not aware of these processes? Uh, sometimes it's out of their hands. You know, if they've had a survey done, the surveyor will have maybe used a point cloud and done a 3D model and maybe remodeled something. But the, the let's say the plant owner or the factory owner hasn't seen that process. So they don't yeah. understand what's happened to get this new design model. But ultimately, the, the, the subcontractor has. But what we're starting to see or I'm starting to see, maybe not everyone, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of what we call owner operators. So the people actually owning the plants now, either having people in house doing work. Um, uh -huh. So yes, they will have a network of subcontractors, but um, ultimately, you know, some owner operators are doing their own work. You know, we've got some big automotive customers, for example, who actually have their own survey teams now, and they've invested in scanning and they've invested in software. Uh -huh. And ordinarily, um, you know, back in the day, that might have been a subcontractor doing all the work. Yeah. Um, some of them come to you and say specifically, we don't want to use subcontractors anymore. We want to control this whole process. Um, and you're like, well, have you got any surveyors? No. OK, well, you can either train some people up or you can invest in some surveyors. But yeah. ultimately, you're building what an external team has spent many, many years creating an envelope of or a bubble of expertise and yep. you're going to have if you want to compete with what they're able to do and the speed they're able to deliver it you need to buck up your ideas yeah. <laughs> quite honestly yeah. yeah but i'm all for more people using reality capture dates i mean the whole thing with the iphone 12 with the new iphone 12 pro with the lidar sensor some of the stuff i'm seeing i know it's not long range i know it's you know people scanning a room or scanning a sofa <laughs> or scanning a pipe or whatever but the, some of the initiatives out there um to get people using their phones to scan stuff just just that is some people's first contact with reality capture yeah true. you know and true. and and once you start putting it in the hands of creatives that's where it gets really exciting mm. so there's a couple of people that i i deal with and they constantly come to you and they want to borrow borrow a scanner for free or hire us you know they can't afford the money because they are a creative and they're doing a project and some of the stuff they do with the data is just incredible mm -hmm. you know it's works of art with point clouds or animations or vr work 
And that only comes from getting the data into people's hands yes. at a much, uh, 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 you know, or getting the getting the the sensors to a point of such low cost that everyone can play with it. And I think that's what the iPhone will do: is get so many more people engaged in reality capture, and then we can start getting those people suckered into more, you know, uh, longer range context. You know, if we can get, let's say, we can get only one percent of all the people using an iPhone 12 into scanning, great. You know, yeah. That's still a huge huge uptick um so it's just about what people i think goes back to what you said it goes back to what people specify and understanding how to specify and uh yeah we're here to help you know all you know i try as best i can but whether that's through outreach on social or with individual customer conversations but the more people we can educate then the the, the bigger the market becomes yeah that's so, and then everyone is and then everyone is excited because you sell more products and more people are using it and it becomes uh de facto you know that that's what people request yeah but there's still always a time and a place for single point measurement and gps and you know other other surveying techniques you know we, there is still always a place for you know those legacy products if you will yeah i mean it's not it's not going to take away the job of a surveyor is it you know no, no, it's I don't made, think. I don't think it's made um, the job easy, easier. Maybe not easier than it's made the job safer. Um, mm -hmm. You know, for a lot of people who are now scanning certain job sites um, and just having some control points, you know, like on a on a road, a busy road, mm -hmm. or whatever it may be, where now they can scan it and yeah. or you know, Pegasus to worry about the traffic. Pegasus. Yeah, yeah. If you, I, I mean, the number of people that I see using Pegasus systems for rail surveys and road surveys, yeah. the amount of man hours that re, you know it reduces. Um, I'm looking at a picture of Pegasus too now, actually, on my <laughs> other screen, but it reduces, um, you know, uh, road safety management as well. You know, you don't have to pay for roads to be closed, and mm. um, you, know, I, you know, even I think to be honest, you know, even though laser scanning has had a huge impact, if you look at the impact of UAVs on surveying businesses you know that that is just huge i mean inspection surveys topographic surveys you know okay admittedly you know you, you might not be getting the accuracy but some of the point clouds i see generated from photogrammetric data mm -hmm. from uavs is astounding yeah you know it, it is really good you know with good control points and and some and a good person let's say behind the scenes doing it work yeah you can get incredible results and and then we're starting to see a lot of fusion now between photogrammetric methods and scan data yes. so and it kind of bolsters you know bolsters the accuracy and it, you know gives you a really nice underlying mesh with fantastic coloration yeah you know, there's just so many exciting things happening and a lot of it you know is for once being driven by the surveying industry mm. you know not necessarily the entertainment industry um even though you know now we are seeing lots and lots of people using you know laser scanning for you know visual effects not for visual effects but for you know all the pre-production work scanning sets um you know there's, there's so much scope for using 3d laser scanning in that market as well it's just yeah once you i think almost sometimes we need more sales guys to cover all these markets because <laughs> <laughs> uh you know you could just forever expand into yes. all these different areas um but yeah, I can't remember where we were with our original topic. Oh, where doesn't we, where matter. We doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, half the stuff we've talked about have been my questions anyway. So. Oh, well, there you go. Then. <laughs> yeah, good. 
good. It's all good. Anybody questions left, Peter? That's the question. That's oh, the point. let me go. I'm just reading through them now. <laughs> how does um how does the company go about like um you know coming up with all of these different um um you new different types of scanners and stuff? You know, how do you feel when they come to you and say, oh, you know, we're trialing this or we're 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 building this or whatever? I think what part part of it's inevitable. So yeah. I think I've had a conversation with someone recently. I said, at the, if someone comes to me from Lycra and says, we're going to do this, I'm not going to say what, but if we're going to do this, I wouldn't bat an eyelid. I'd be like, yeah, 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 you are. I can see. <laughs> we're going to create this product that does this in this way. And you would just believe them because you kind of, everyone's going through every, you know, that whole thing of smashing through the wall at the same time. Like, yeah, let's do this. Let's, let's go. And I think, you know, I was very, very lucky to be involved, not necessarily in the development of the RTC 360, but I knew that it was coming and I was involved in um, an advisory board with the product management for the RTC 360 before it okay. came out. So we had oversight of the solution, even when it was in kind of very early prototype stages and, you know, making some, helping make some key decisions on certain things. And when it finally came to the market, you almost felt a little bit like it was your baby alongside you. Yeah. <laughs> With many other fathers and mothers, yes. um, because there's a lot, so many hundreds of people involved. But that, um, you know, that mentality of, you know, like the BLK to go, we, we knew it was inevitable that we would release a handheld mobile mapping system, mm -hmm. but that they would release one that came out and looked like, you know, this amazing kind of just, I, I, it looks a little bit, you know, like a Dyson um, Airblade fan. But it came out and we just looked at it and we're like, yeah, that's that's incredible. And then you get it in your hand and you're like, this is really easy to use. And then you use yeah. the app, which is which goes with it. And you're like, this just works. Yeah. And uh, I think that was kind of, that's always been the mentality with Apple, isn't it? It kind of just works. Yeah. Ignore underneath the surface. Yeah. It just looks good and it performs and um, that kind of if we can, you know, if we can instill that mentality, I think a lot of it is magic, though. A lot of it's black magic, you know, like um, <laughs> with the Viz technology on the RTC, you know, we know how it works. It works using camera systems and it tracks you in real time as you're walking through. But the fact that it does it at the speed it does it and the vision systems and the complexity of it and the fact that it allows you to move from one location to the other and tell you where you've moved from and to and stick it together automatically if you'd have asked me that 14 years ago and i go yeah no no way no, no we haven't got there's no technology that can do that but you kind of get this perfect storm of all these different technologies coming from different angles yeah. and then all of a sudden boom you know you present it and then you've got the viz technology from the rtc with the cameras we then have that similar viz technology deployed in the blk to go because it's got this grand slam technology which is mm -hmm. the it's got the IMU, it's got the SLAM, and it's got the um, the cameras all working together. And you, you know, and then you start thinking, well, actually, you know, take that technology, that technology, put it on a UAV, do this. You know, you start, your mind starts kind of, you know, the first thing everything so everyone said when they saw the BLK to go was, can I hang it upside down on a drone? I must have been asked that question like, you know, a thousand times. <laughs> and what's the answer? Uh, technically you could yeah <laughs> technically yeah we i think we we just we I posted a video last week of a couple of guys in in chile and they put it over the edge of a building so they hung it in a bracket upside down on yeah. like almost like a fishing rod kind of scenario and they just dropped it down the outside of this building 10 stories so theoretically yes obviously you've got uh, range 
implications if you were to put it on a uav you wouldn't be flying 100 meters in the sky because you'd have no data but yeah, yeah technically you could i'm sure someone somewhere has tried it um i know someone tried it with a blk 360 when that first came out oh really <laughs> yeah they just put it up in they put it and put the blk 360 underneath them and mounted it underneath this uav and they flew it up in the air and they just tried to hover it as as um as still as they could and then they performed a scan yeah, <laughs> so right. It's not would, designed to work like that, but yeah. It would, ha like, it'd have to be pretty stable, wouldn't it? To oh, be uh, yeah, we, as soon yeah. as we saw it, we went, well, that's not going to work. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, the data, the data was actually not too bad. To okay. I think it was in, somewhere in the Midwest in the US was completely like dry air, no wind. <laughs> um, but yeah, people will push the technology, you know. Yes. Yeah, Do you know, I think that's, that's a really good thing that there are people out there who do want to push the boundaries and see what they can do and how they can use this new technology to benefit what they're doing in their everyday. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of uh, entrepreneurial people out there working in surveying. I mean, if you look at uh, when I see some of the people that invest in the, in the, in the Pegasus and, you, you know, you're talking a big, 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 you know, several yeah. hundred thousand pounds worth of investment. Yeah. And uh you're there trying to make sense of the maths and thinking, well, wait a second, this is a surveying company and they're investing, you know, whatever it is, X yeah. number of hundred thousand. How do you make that work? But these are, these are money, you know, these are money men. They are running businesses and they are, you know, surveying in the UK is a big business. You know, it's, yeah. it is, yes, there's a lot of pe junior people, but there's a lot of people making a lot of money in surveying and geospatial measurement. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and what you start to, what, what's interesting to me is, I've seen some of the smaller businesses compete with some of the bigger businesses as well, mm -hmm. because ultimately, you know, a, a, let's say you've got an RTC a total station and GPS, and you've got a, maybe a two or three man band. You know, you can go out there and do a very, very fine job and you probably mm -hmm. don't need to have massive overheads and, yep. and hence you win some work. And I've seen some big projects won by some very small businesses and delivering fantastic results just because you're a big business doesn't mean that you're going to deliver better deliverables than someone else. Mm. So um, I think that's another thing is that is the democratization of, of the ability to buy, you know, this, this point cloud technology, or even not even buy it, just rent it, rent. you know, actually just go and rent a scanner for a week. And, yeah. you know, if the skill set and mentality is there for me, you know, we still have to, you've got the survey school, like you said, but we really need to kind of drill home with the educators about, all these technologies and we are starting to see more reality capture technology seep into the courses in, in the UK, maybe, maybe elsewhere in the world. But um, yeah, I, I, I just think it's, uh, I think it's an exciting time for everyone. And um, I, I, like I said, it's in, again, interesting to me seeing these smaller businesses. Now, I'm not going to, again, not name names, but you think, well, you're quite small. How are you affording all this technology? But they obviously are, you know, they, they are obviously making money, they're making payments and they're, and they're doing well. So the more, the more success we can create in the market then the more products we can sell and the more successful we become. So it's, 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 a, it's a, I want to say catch 22, but it's maybe it's not, maybe that's not the right, no. maybe that's not the right phrase. No, it's not. No, it's not the right phrase. Um, <laughs> I know. Yeah. Anyway, I'll go back to my phrase, perfect storm. Is that perfect storm of, oh, of reality yeah. capture technologies and pricing and education and mm. bringing it all back together. But yeah, you know, part of my, what I consider my role in, you know, why I maybe use social media as much as I do is just to get that information out to people. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing the amount of people who come to me and they will ask me 
first and foremost. I'll get questions on LinkedIn daily from people. Oh, how do you do this? How do I do that? Uh, and you know what? I do answer them. It would be very easy for me to ignore and bat it off. But, you know, I spent that many years on the laser scanning forum imparting advice because I just felt like this whole community, just if you're working together, it doesn't, you know, if you're in the US and Europe, you're not competing with one another, really. So yeah. well, get the information out there. Why, why let someone struggle? And mm -hmm. um, I, I genuinely feel sort of my, my role in the kind of, um, in the business now, obviously we need to make revenue, right? That's my role. I, I have to help make as much yeah. money as possible in my given position, but also just to get the information to people. Mm. And sometimes these people aren't necessarily following official channels. So they're not following like on LinkedIn or they're not getting emails or this stuff. So to have a more of a personal connection and having someone say, look, here you go, here's this information. It's fresh. It's new. Um, I, 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 you know, I'm not saying that I see that as my role, but I just as a bit of an ambassador for the brand and just make, or even ambassador for laser scanning, you know, or I, reality capture. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say. It, it, to, to me, even though you're working for Leica and you are pushing, not pushing, but promoting their, you know, their equipment and all the different pieces, to me, um, it was, you could see the passion that you have for the equipment, you know, for, for, for wanting to, to get it out there and let everybody know this is what you can do with this equipment. And, and it, mm -hmm. it boils down to, you know, whether you have got a life or you've got, you know, something else, um, they can still take what you've said and use it with other equipment. Mm -hmm. More that, that passion for scanning, that, that's what I see. Um, yeah, 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 and that's and that, I think I think at the end of the day, you know, and that's not that's not false in any way. That's just being embroiled and embedded in in Leica for fourteen years and only knowing reality capture. Yeah. You know, that's all I've ever done. Yeah. You know, someone came along tomorrow and said, "Oh, we're going to move you into the Disto team." You know, I don't think I'd have quite as much um, <laughs> passion <laughs> or excitement for it. But you know, that's. Yeah, that's the nature of some businesses. They do that. Yeah, you know, they do just pick and pluck you and go, right, you're going over here now. And I know in America, they do that a lot. They just kind of circulate people around the businesses ah. every six to eight months just to kind of build their breadth of knowledge. But, um, you know, if you're a specialist, you know, I'd like to consider myself a specialist. Still a lot of stuff I don't know. Mm. Um, but I, I have, and sometimes I amaze myself when I pull this bit of knowledge out of my head. I'm like, how the hell do I remember that from like, <laughs> how do I remember how to do that from like 10 years ago? But <laughs> still there somewhere um so i think that's uh, i think that's vitally important anyway i think and i think i try and instill that in everyone that we take on board as well you know, even some new people and say look at the end of the day social media is a tool not yeah. only are you know not not just because social social selling but because you are you're so present, you know, this idea of personal branding, you know, everyone keeps talking about personal branding, personal branding. And, and over the last sort of 12 months, I've seen a real sea change, especially on LinkedIn with people who've now got their own little logo. They've got their own, you know, uh, look and feel. They're using Canva to kind of make everything look uniform. Uh, maybe not in the surveying market, but just more generally on LinkedIn. <laughs> I was going to uh, say, I haven't seen much yeah. of that in no, what no, no, I no, see. No, no. <laughs> but I kind of know what you're talking about, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, you are, you are representing Leica, but you're also representing you. And at, yes. the end of the, at the end of the day, people will remember when you help them. Yes. And, and it's like that whole notion of they won't remember how much money you had. They won't remember, uh, you know, how attractive you were, but they'll remember how you made them feel. 
Yes. And if you made them feel like, you know, they were valuable and you helped them and you gave them something useful. Uh, and, and, and yes, my wife will say, you know, my wife will moan sometimes and say, why are you on your phone? Why, what are you doing on there? I'm like, I'm, I'm responding to someone on LinkedIn because they've got a problem and they're based in South America. <laughs> I'm like, why? Well, because they'll remember that I've helped them, you know, so, um, you know. I, I don't think know. the spouses get that sometimes when they don't use their social media because, I kind of feel the same sometimes that, you know, with everything that I've been doing for the podcast and all that kind of stuff, it's like, I swear my husband thinks I must be having an affair or something. Yeah, and yeah, it's just yeah, me yeah. constantly yeah. trying to do stuff. That... <laughs> yeah. yeah, but if you're, driven, if you're driven and you're driven and you're passionate about it, then you just, you just do it, don't you? And yeah. um, I think uh, it's, it, it, it is, important and i think it's very important from the point of view of an organization to have people who are um brand ambassadors you know and and um, at the end of the day we are in a different world to how we are a different world to what we were 10 years ago you know oh, social media definitely. was coming into its infancy and yeah. i remember i didn't you know i didn't have linkedin or anything i had twitter and i you know i was on twitter and i used to use that a lot i don't use it so much anymore it's kind of cro a cross post from other places mm. but it was um, it was where I started, and I remember getting my first sale as a result of a conversation through Twitter. And I remember going to my manager and going, "We need to take social media seriously. Yeah. This is going to be where people are having conversations and being influenced." And yeah. I remember having like a little brainstorming session with some marketing people, and they were like, "Oh, how can we use social media?" To, oh, wow! You know, with, uh, <laughs> you know, those in, those in, in, in conversations in the infancy of it all, and uh, you know, I think now more than ever. Yes, there is a corporate strategy, but people need to have their own personal strategies as well when it comes to it. Mine is, as I said, just to get information out, help people. Um, you know, I do my webinars and they're really well attended. Uh, we yeah. get good you know, viewership and uh, they're just, yes, they are a way of getting leads. You know, there's no yeah. point hiding that fact. That's it, it's what a business is about. But yeah. we do it in a way that is not salesy. We do it in a way that is informative and enriching and giving something that doesn't cost them anything i mean yes it costs them an email address and a name <laughs> yeah that's 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 what it costs um and uh i think I, I just think it's a really interesting time just to see how different people are approaching it and different organizations like i won't mention names but i see people from other organizations and there's a lack of there's just a lack of engagement there's a lack of information giving and i think that sometimes stems from the culture of different businesses as well you know right. almost like stamped out right i don't want you talking about this focus on the job in hand blah, blah, blah. and and what people need to realize is and they do realize now is that social media brings business and awareness brings business and at the end of the day i want as many people to be engaged socially as possible because you know i don't know much about gpr mm -hmm. where do i find my knowledge if i've got, I've got a utility sector is exploding like it's like like no one you know utilities everyone's into utilities yeah. every Almost every surveying business in the UK now has a utilities division. Yes, um, I would argue, and uh, I don't have that expertise. So we need now kind of someone on the utility side to come through and burst through and be that knowledge giver and and everything. So, and there, and there are various people. I can't name them all now, but yeah, there's various people who you see. But it's uh, it's it's exciting to see anyway. Yeah, definitely. and then people like you. You know, you're doing this and you're out of your own you know, at your own spare time and, uh, you know, spreading the word. Oh, yeah. It's, um, it's been, since 
since I've left my teaching position and come back into industry, I found that, um, you know, I, yes, was using social media a bit more um, and then just started meeting all these people across the world. And that's, you know, it's like, wow, these people are doing this and this person's doing that. And oh, I'm now having a conversation with someone in America and, you know, um, meeting Elaine, like, oh, my God, how, how she just does everything that she does is absolutely amazes me. But she puts that, she lights that fire within you that sort of kind of made me starting to think, oh, there's probably something that I could come get out of this. And, yeah. you know, I've always loved talking to people. Surveyors in general have amazing stories but never want to talk about themselves. And, you know, I've had people that I've gone to and sort of say, oh, you know, I'm going to start a podcast. Would you come on? And they go, oh, oh, oh I don't really have much to say. <laughs> and I'm like, no, that's okay. You know, yes, you do. Let's, let's just try it and see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three yeah. hours later, they're still talking. Yeah. <laughs> there's a couple there's the geoholics podcast and oh they're amazing yeah the construction brothers podcast now to be honest i mean i don't have time i really don't have time to listen to all of them i mean even yeah. podcasts i make which are very short and sweet and you know i try and keep them like five six minutes just little short bursts of yeah. information I, I haven't got time to listen to my own to check them let alone anyone else's <laughs> so um you know i could be saying anything on those things but yeah at the end at the end of the, at the end of the day uh yeah, I think I think you're right. I think everyone has got a voice. I think, uh, and the more we can talk about surveying, and I really do feel quite passionate about what Elaine is doing with Get Kids Into Survey because, yeah. you know, my, you know, I've done stuff with my oldest lad where we've taken out the BLK three sixty and we've done some surveys of the War Memorial in the park and things like that, and then we put a little PowerPoint presentation together for his school and stuff, and you're just just trying to ignite that kind of mm. passion that. There is other stuff that you can. Uh, there's other stuff that you can do aside from going to, you know, marketing media. You know, it, it, yes. surveying can be surveying can be two things. I think nowadays, or three, or three. You've kind of got the managerial role. Yeah. Then you've got the out in the field role, and then you've got the office based role. Mm. And some, you know, the entrepreneurial ones have to do all of that. You know, the the ones who are starting have to do all of that. And as you grow as a business and have these different arms, but you know, whatever you are good at, there's probably a role within a surveying business that mm -hmm. you could do. You know, if you're good at IT, if you're good at CAD, if you're good at graphic communication, if you're good at maths and science and engineering, you know, there's so many things that it, it, it opens up. And I think, you know, I did a presentation a few years ago all about, you know, the future. Um, and I was talking about, you know, self-driving cars and surveying and everything. And, and I really was saying, look, automation will be huge, but the base data and the base maps and the base information and the 5G networks that power all of this, that sits, you know, fits it all together. That is where the money is going to be made. That is where people are going to um, grow and flourish. And, and then you see hexagon with hexagon smart net you see hexagon with hexagon hexagon autonomous uh, positioning uh, and they're um, buying autonomous stuff so even looking at our business we are making headway into you know investing in these businesses that are all yeah. about you know the, the future autonomy and underpinning everything about autonomous is survey data yeah however you look at it um and that to me is exciting because it doesn't matter where that data has come from you know you look at initiatives like we've got like uh, HXDR, which is this hexagon digital reality platform, mm -hmm. um, and you upload 
you know, you upload all of your survey data, you can upload IFCs and scan data and model data. It is all just about creating a giant digital bucket and people can either use that data, download that data, upload their own data and, you know, almost, yeah, I know it's ambitious, but creating a digital twin of the world, but yeah. not only creating a digital twin that's static, just creating a constantly dynamic, evolving digital twin that everyone is kind of participating in. It all sounds very much like the matrix. It's not, it's, <laughs> it's, it's just, everyone can participate in creating, you know, the next sort of uh, iteration of that digital twin with the con with, with the content and surveyors that are, are at the forefront of that. Cause they've got all the technology. I mean, that's, so, that, that's a pretty, um, a pretty, pretty big thing to, to look at and think about if, you know, when you're talking about such, that's a hell of a lot of data too yeah. <laughs> to yeah, be yeah, able to do yeah. that would you yeah, be concerned but, about the data some of the data not being quality data or well i think i think this is the thing is it? I mean, at the end of the day surveyors are their own gatekeepers right they, yeah. they are checking and verifying they're signing off to certain standards and iso accreditations so you know it is down you know and then you've got are the instruments calibrated correctly is yeah. this the, 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 the. you know i, I think fundamentally i think 99.9 percent .9 of everyone is doing everything right mm -hmm. there's the, the rogue 0.1 percent that might be doing something incorrectly or fudging something and um but you know i i very rarely come across a business that's uh nothing less than you know exemplary in terms of the handling of of the data and also yeah. you know whether it comes to data sharing or the accuracy of the data you know mm -hmm. it, it, it's it's always been perfect but um Anyway, we'll, 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 we'll mm. see how that all transpires. I just think that there's huge opportunities for surveying, you know, surveying companies yeah. in, in, that, in that space. And you look at, you know, the LIDAR that you now see on cars, you know, with the self-driving. I know Tesla don't have LIDAR, but there are a majority of the self-driving technology is LIDAR based. Mm -hmm. You know, actually feeding that data back into the system, you know, in real time. Ah. You're driving mm -hmm. along and you're using it for self-driving, but you're storing that data, you're pumping it back out via 5G. It's all positionally accurate. You know, we start, it start really, you start, you know, um, what's the word? I'm trying to think of the word now. Molding your brain, <laughs> blending your brain, whatever. It's It just starts melting your brain. There you go. That's the word <laughs> I was looking for. <laughs> Not molding. <laughs> It's uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's really exciting, and, and and obviously you know everyone has a part to play in making sure that um, you know the next generation of surveyors are there and yeah. coming through. Mm. You know, not everyone can be a YouTube influencer or an Instagram model. You know? it's, no, uh, it's... no, definitely not. Well, <laughs> yeah. try and tell that to my kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. it's basically the the world they're growing up in, isn't it? So, yeah. Mm. Who's had the biggest impact on your career? Oof. I'm going to say my wife, actually. Uh -huh. Yeah, because she's kind of she was kind of the one that. Um, I mean, apart from obviously Tim finding me in uh, you know that at that yeah. event and, and yep. asking me to join, but in terms of actually career de development and progression, you know, they always say there's you know a strong woman behind a strong man or whatever and i don't consider myself a strong man necessarily but my <laughs> wife is you know she's she's exemplary and she's uh, hard working she's had jobs she's had three children yeah and um she just constantly finds you know time to push and and, and question and 
you know, when I thought I couldn't do something or take on a job, she's been there going, yes, you can just, you know, if you've been, someone's seen something in you, just go for it. You know, yeah. uh, she's moved, she's moved to America with me. She's moved back from America with me. She's, <laughs> um, she's just, yeah, she's, she's, she just kind of shapes the decisions that we make as a family. And, uh, and a lot of that obviously, you know, is linked back to work and, mm. you know, I, I genuinely think, she's uh she's been really good oh you know a couple of other key people are uh, tim like i said who, yeah. who sponsored me and also um a guy called fahim khan who's the uh, vice president of the software solutions looks after laser scanning and mobile mapping mm-hmm. um you know good friend but also uh, you know kind of mentoring and shaping and helping me find opportunity mm-hmm. uh, but you know fundamentally it's you know, there's so many good people in like mm-hmm. systems and uh, they're you know everyone is on a mission to be the best there's a lot of perfectionists and a lot of people who really are passionate um goes back to what you said there's a lot of passion in the business and mm-hmm. just making sure we deliver the best products and you know there are customers and, and you'll come across and they'll be like well there's still bugs that, are, that needs to be fixed and this and that and t'other and i think that's the same you talk to anyone you know whether they're using us or another solution provider there is always something that could be improved or bettered um we you know everyone i've seen you know, I've been in the, what's the word? I've been at the coal face when it comes to kind of testing. Yeah. And if you see the, the amount of effort and energy and um, regimen that goes into testing software before it's released, it's huge. Yeah. But, you know, you, you know it, 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 with, in, in parallels to like the video game market, there's a big game release before Christmas that came out and it was like the most buggy, glitchy mess you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, entertainment. So this, our products actually are real world life-changing products which if there is a problem we need to fix it um, yeah. so everyone tries their best but um yeah I, I, yeah I, yeah going back to your original question I, there's a lot of people who've influenced yeah. my role anyway yeah how did you meet your wife have you been together for at uni at uni at actually uni? Yeah, yeah 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 we went, met on um it, i'd been there a year so i'd done my first year and come back and then really really obscure link i went on a a holiday with my mum and dad and i met this girl called sally and she went oh i'm starting university next year i'm at bournemouth and i went oh i'm at bournemouth Uh and she went oh right i said so i met up with her and um and then a few days later her her roommate turned up like just a few days before term and it happened to be another sally which was my wife my now wife and i was just like oh i like you i didn't say that obviously i was just like i like you (laughs) And then kind of just evolved into a friendship and then just kind of evolved into being together. And then, um, yeah, however many years later it is now, I think it's, uh, so that was in 2002 we met. So yeah, yeah it's nearly 20 years coming up next mm. year. It's crazy. Wow. Crazy. No wonder Time she flies. <laughs> it, it sure does. Yeah. Yeah. No, no wonder she's um, had a bit of a, influence on you she's been there for pretty much the whole everything yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah um what motivates you god that's a tough one isn't it it is you could fall back in your money fast cars no <clears throat> i drive a i drive a kia sportage and uh it's like yeah it's just like a bog standard car yeah i've gone i've gone through the phase of having flashy cars when i was a bit younger and just kind of you know i've, I've got three kids now and, and a dog yeah. and yeah you don't want you don't want that um definitely so not. we're back to the back to the kia and then um but no i don't know i i, I really genuinely had such a happy upbringing 
Um, yeah. my, my, I really just desperately want my kids to have a good, a good grow up, a good growing up phase and, um, give them as many experiences as possible. So, you know, anything that I do that can ultimately, you know, if I can pay for nice holidays, nice trips, nice experiences, yeah. I'm all about experiences. I'd rather have nothing in my bank account yep. and have the best time than just shovel money away and, uh, and, and, and not be able to have those experiences. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we as a family, we are, you know, we are full of adventure. You know, we wouldn't have gone to America and back if, if that was the case. And, yeah. you know, we've, we've moved, I think we've lived in, I think we've lived in 11, 11 or 12 houses since 2005. Oh, gosh. So we've kind of, we kind of are nomads, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, we just, uh, you know, we, we're settled here now and um, we, you know, we've got, uh, yeah, obviously it's been a weird year, but yeah, I yeah. think, if we talk about it in the rawest sense is my motivation is just, you know, family and making sure they have a, have, yeah. a, have a good life really. And, you know, money is, money is part of that. Obviously you, you need money to do those things. Mm. Um, but, you know, as I, I lost my dad actually when I was in America and that really hit home because it kind oh. of just made me go, Gosh. you know what, uh, you know, it, it's still, it's still really hard now to, mm-hmm. to, to, to deal with. You kind of go through the grief period and you still kind of can't quite believe it. Now we lost him very, very suddenly. And, um, oh, that really, no, no, it's fine. It, 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 you, yeah. Like I say, you just kind of, you get, you get, you get used to it. And uh, it wasn't that old really. He was only 72 or 73 really in yeah. real terms. Yeah. Um, but it just then makes you completely reassess what is what is important in life. Yeah. And um, yeah. I've never had a tragedy tra- tragedy like that before. Um, you know, we've obviously lost older people in our families, mm. but people who have died when they should have died. Yes. Um, yeah. And uh, my dad was relatively fit and healthy, you know, so it, it kind of just completely changes your uh, opinion and makes you even more driven to just make sure things are uh, ordered in the right way. Yeah. so uh you that's, once, I suppose that's, you? say again you only live once yeah yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> and, you know everyone wants to be an entrepreneur and a gazillionaire and you know whatever but you know if you if you <laughs> I think there's there's a there was a comment in the UK it was like after you earn like a certain point of money in the UK it doesn't change how happy you are so I'm not you know I won't cite the amount of I can't remember what it was even but you know it's like once you reach a certain point it doesn't matter how much more money you have you can't be any more happy it doesn't matter if you've got five lamborghinis in the garage or yeah. you know, a mansion you are a human being at the end of the day mm. and um i think you know obviously you know money buys people freedom and freedom to do stuff but it also um can cause a lot of problems as well so um if you look at some of the corruption and stuff in the world and uh it it yeah, you've just got to be you've just got to be careful it is um, it's an amazing influence but also a corrupting influence <laughs> yeah. you know, going, going back to my going back to my comment um or going back to your question um yeah i think i think i'm sure i would hope everyone answers the same thing is just making your family happy and making your kids happy i think that's really you know um and it's tough at the minute it's really tough at the minute because they're not at school they're not seeing your friends everyone's on top of each other you're with the same bubble all day every day yeah. they're homeschooling I'm working, my wife's working. It's just, you know, it's really hard, but you've just got to make the best of what it is. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, there are some people really suffering. You know, we're not one of the families that needs to have a food parcel delivered every week because we mm. haven't, we've got the money to buy, pay for it. Yeah. We're yeah. not the people who have lost their job. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, things are going to get better before they get worse. But uh, I would hope everyone just wants to, you know, have a happy existence. I think people will come out of this 
realizing there's a lot there's a lot more important things in life actually yeah I, I agree I, I really agree with that one how do you relax <laughs> honestly if I get you, very stressed should I say do you relax <laughs> I do no I do I do I find but what happens is I get to the point where I relax so much that I end up just like like really like kind of like so so relaxing so hard that I think I, I've got to come I realize I've got to come back to the real world so like at Christmas you're like right two weeks off yeah family friends just you know uh, admittedly this Christmas was a bit different but um yeah I, sometimes I relax too hard and then you've got to snap back into it and you, you know, you've got to get the adrenaline going again so which you know why well, this morning you know I set my alarm at six o'clock took the dog for a walk went for a run then I had another call then I had your call and you know you, you obviously I think you need to exercise to de-stress that's the first thing and relax yeah. uh-huh. but you know to be honest you know walking reading whatever but you know a good a good uh, a good online gaming session against some friends just shooting some zombies or whatever you know whatever it is <laughs> just just something that's not going to cause anyone any harm um but realistically you know I, I think we we surround ourselves with pets as well we've got a dog we've got two cats we've had various cats and pets in the past and they are such a calming influence as well you know our dog is just like a lap dog she'll just come and sit on you the cats are constantly just all over you so I don't know I think we live in a relatively relaxed household to be honest and that helps but uh yeah the (laughs) the need the need for relaxation over the past year you know actually it's it's not easy to now go to the cinema you know it's not easy to go out for a meal and I think that's the other thing is it's very hard to just get some time alone. You know, and it's horrible, but away from the kids. No, you know, everybody we, needs that. You, you need your own time. Your nan, granddad, just, just, just have them. Yeah. For, you know, and, and you can't really do that anymore mm. uh, at the minute. You know, we, there was a brief period, sort of, sort of August through till whenever it was, August through till sort of end of October, where you could. Mm. You're right. No, go. Can you hear me? Oh, sorry, I couldn't. I didn't know you. Could. I thought you'd lost me there. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, we just need to, uh, we just, everyone just needs to kind of have a bit of a reassessment coming out the back of this lockdown as to what's important to them for sure. So mm. uh, we'll see how it all, we'll see how it all pans out. I just hope people realise that they don't have to be rushing around like headless chickens. You don't yeah. have to be, you know, one of my colleagues says it all the time. You don't have to be a busy fool, Yeah. you know, be conscientious, plan, you know, you don't have to be sat at your desk nine to five, yeah. like a zombie um you know there are other ways to work and i think nowadays you know you can you if you've got a laptop and you've got an internet connection you can pretty much um pretty much work anywhere anyway yeah that's right exactly yeah. all right so a little bit of a doozy one here would you rather have a get out of jail card or a key that opens any door oh my god <laughs> could have prepared me for that one no well, first, no firstly i wouldn't be in jail so that's fine <laughs> so i would i I'm, I'm guessing i would go for the uh a key that can open any door for sure mr goody two shoes huh <laughs> yeah yeah well I, got, I mean i've had a couple of minor infractions in terms of driving over the years i think i've got two i think i've had maybe i think actually considering i used to drive about fifty thousand miles a year i oh. used to get speeding tickets and I, I think the one speeding ticket that I got I then went and did a driver awareness course so I didn't get the points anyway so oh, okay. I've, I've, done, I've done pretty well to be fair not bad, not bad. Yeah. that's it and you get even less when you drive a Kia Sportage because <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't go very fast 
if you see a puddle on the ground, do you walk around it, jump over it, or jump in it? Genuinely depends which shoes I'm wearing. But, oh, no. No, not... <laughs> someone said that to me the other day. <laughs> yeah, sorry. No, if it didn't no, matter about. If it didn't matter about shoes. What's your first instinct? What would you do? I would always jump in it. Yeah, I would <sighs> jump in it. I do, what, I do what the dog does, and I jump in it. I'm afraid. Yeah, <laughs> and then my wife would shout at me, and the kids would moan. And yeah. <laughs> if you had a superpower, what would it be? Oh my god. Oh dear. That's a good one. I don't even. I genuinely, I'm genuinely stumped with that one. You mean you could, you could, you, I, I don't know, because I, I always think invisibility is one of those ones that could be misconstrued. Because you'd be like, oh, well, I'd be invisible, and then you, and then you see, and then you watch, and then you watch the Invisible Man, and you're like, well, that, that's sinister. <laughs> but I, I think, I don't know. I, I don't. I, invisibility is a good one. I think fly. I think you've got to say fly, right? Uh, I yeah. <coughs> Yeah, just to just to jump up in the air and go right. I'm going to go to the shops, and you just you kind of there in a few seconds. I think yeah, or or maybe oh maybe time travel. Is that is oh, that super cool? Yeah, well my my youngest son made a comment the other day, and it was just out of nowhere about how good it would be to be able to um, teleport. Yes. Yeah. 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 I was Imagine thinking of Doctor Strange when I said that, but teleport and go and go on a holiday and you're just there and you don't have to worry about the travel or you want to go to the shops you can just be there and you know so yeah. I think that's a pro yeah. probably a pretty good one as well yeah absolutely if you could go back in history where would you go oh that's a good one I'd probably go back to the Roman times I'd go mm -hmm. back to Rome Roman Roman uh I don't know whether I do Roman England maybe Roman England actually yeah okay. I think Roman England or I or the or medieval times in the UK I think kind of like dark ages kind of post Battle of Hastings that kind of uh, mm -hmm. Norman conquest period because that really fascinates me actually I mean I I, yeah, I would I'd love to see I'd love to kind of understand the the rationale behind going even further back the rationale behind things like Stonehenge you know yeah. really really key. I've read countless books on Stonehenge and read so many one of my old professors is one of the key guys who actually works on this on the site still Dr Timothy Darvill or Professor Timothy Darvill okay um, and uh, I've had some involvement in the years with coming up with basic specific you know specifications for recording Stonehenge but to understand what, what the hell was going on in their heads as to why they thought that it was possible and also an understanding of how much manpower and probably slave labor was required yeah. to put these things together you know and why people were doing this for people you know what was the threat above them you know did it was there someone who you know was able to you know say that they were a god on the on the earth or that god was you know or, or some kind mm -hmm. of notion of what was going on i just love to get behind people's ideas of you know what what was happening yeah um so yeah i mean so, sorry i've given you a few there but yeah oh, i mean nice. history History is really interesting. The Roman Empire just amazes me because they were just incredibly efficient. I I, I wonder, you know, I know America, a lot of people say America is like the, the Roman Empire, you know, running around and sorting people out and everything. But I, I genuinely wonder what the Romans would have done if they'd kind of come up with the combustion engine or had the technology they have today. <laughs> I think just the the sheer kind of ambition yeah. and unified kind of drive that they had. Mm. Um, you know, I know it's quite fractious and there's lots of, you know, political characters in there, but genuinely, I mean, what an amazing time to be alive. And, and, and if you go to Rome, 
and you go to Pompeii and you just see how advanced they were and you think you know, you know aqueducts and viaducts and yeah. the building and just incredible yeah. incredible so talking about different places um where's the most unusual place you've been unusual i spent six weeks in a place called Belown in the isle of man on an archaeological dig okay one, I'd never been to the Isle of Man before, which is tiny little, you know, it's an island. Between. It's, only, it's only small, isn't it? You see yeah, the like, crazy guys on their motorbikes going around. <laughs> I want to say it's like 30 miles. Is it 30 miles long? Is it, it's, it's tiny anyway. It may not even be 30 miles. But it's um, it was bizarre. <laughs> it was kind of like a, a, a mini UK outside the uk it was it was just the most strange place i've ever spent any time ever um you know the people the traditions the just it just felt like it was so it was so similar to the uk but so different <laughs> just, it's funny how just you like, find something like that that you go oh my god it's so similar but it's so different yeah, 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 yeah. Just... i think maybe maybe it was kind of like holding up a mirror to you and going you're all so weird <laughs> Yeah, you're not as weird as you. You're not as weird as us. I don't, I don't know, but it, it, it's not that the people were weird. It's just, um, just a very strange, uh, very strange situation. Also, the fact that we were staying in what was effectively like Hogwarts in uh, right next to the airport. Oh, I did right next to the airport. <laughs> yeah, just to make a ready escape, and uh, and also the fact that you were with you know all of these archaeologists, and and all we did was six days a week we just spent in a muddy field just digging up archaeology and effectively slave labor for um uh, one of our professors that yeah. you could then tick off the box and said you've done your six weeks worth of work experience yeah so um it was all rather bizarre and the fact that that was probably the longest time i've ever spent away from my wife as well you know that was really really weird but uh, yeah there you go Iron Man. <laughs> all right at a party where would someone find you oh on the dance floor definitely oh, nice yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 definitely i'm i'm i i like a party and uh i'm not i'm not really a big drinker but mm -hmm. if i do have a drink then i'll be i'll be on the dance floor for sure cool so i'm quite um i'm well behaved i just you know it's it's just i just enjoy it i i, I am yeah you know, then i think that's been the hardest thing for me during lockdown is um i am a very social person yeah. you know, i like traveling i like meeting people from different cultures and backgrounds and, and this has just kind of knocked all that on the head so yeah. even when someone comes to the door now you're like <laughs> it's like verbal <laughs> diarrhea because you just wow I, 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 was, I was outside talking to my neighbor the other day and I, I don't talk to him for like five minutes about the bin schedule or how's his car or whatever and I was like 40 minutes later I went I really I really need to go <laughs> sorry yeah, I think, uh, people people have really lost that personal contact haven't they they're really mm -hmm. missing really missing it so yeah Definitely. all right last question would you make the same choices again if you had a do-over? Oh, I think I think I think one hundred percent yes. Mm -hmm. I think the what I do I do find as a bit of a defining moment, particularly in my working career, is that is that decision to join Leica because there was kind of that initial hesitancy of do I don't I I'm doing something I enjoy, yeah. but then someone's coming to me and sort of doubling my salary overnight, yeah. and you're like, well. I want a family. I want a nice house. I want to be able to afford things. I want to take, relieve the pressure on my wife. La 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 la. Yeah. And you make that decision. And um, you know, I'm 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 one of these people that I very much believe in 
in fate you know what will what will what will be will be yeah um if i look at all the sort of bits in my life my, the moments in my life where something has um happened significant you know or you know a significant event or whatever it it's always somehow just felt like it was meant to happen um and i know it sounds very odd but yeah i i, I genuinely i don't think anyone's life is mapped out but certainly you know you're able to influence and you're able to work hard but at the end of the day some some people are some people are lucky and some people are not lucky and yeah, i think you know sure. the idea of posit positive reinforcement you know i think i'm going to do well i'm going to work hard i'm going to earn money i'm going to have a nice life just keep telling yourself and keep oh, working hard yeah. and get your head down and you get there and yeah. you know some people some people are just floaters <laughs> they yeah. just kind of Oh, why aren't I doing it? You know, I know several people who are just kind of languishing in a job for, you know, 20 years and just not going anywhere. And you just mm. think, well, if you pulled your socks up and put your energy and efforts in something else, then you change it. You can't moan about your situation if you don't put the energy in to change it. Yeah, exactly. All right. All right. I've got one more thing for you. Uh huh. And it's called Quick Shot. And it's basically a yes, no, hot, cold kind of oh, thing. Oh, God. Oh, God. Right. Okay. Go on. Let me try. <laughs> All right, tea or coffee? Tea. Cat or dog? Oh, come on, that's not fair. I oh, know, you can say oh. both. I'll accept both. Dog, dog. <laughs> no, no, you can say both. Yeah, both. Sun, sunrise or sunset? Sunset. Summer or winter? Summer. Roller coasters, do you love or hate them? Love. Three items you'd take to a desert island? Um, oh, God. Uh, an umbrella <laughs> some swimming shorts <laughs> and uh can i say it can i say like an encyclopedia or like <laughs> you can say whatever you want <laughs> oh all right then okay uh, a, 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 a laptop with limitless power supply and access to the internet <laughs> <laughs> favorite song oh um philosophy by ben folds five Ah, oh, okay. Favorite movie? <sighs> Jesus, there's a few. There's a few up there. I would, I would, I'm gonna say because it always comes to the fore. Gladiator, just I love it. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Favorite book? Um, I do actually really like a book called On Chesil Beach, and I'm trying to remember the author. Oh, what a shame. Ian McEwen, On Chesil Beach by Ian McEwen. Okay. Uh, introvert or extrovert? Extrovert. So is your glass half full or half empty? Half full. Yeah, I knew the answer would be that. One thing yeah. you'd never do again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, so many answers. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear, so many Ooh. answers. Uh, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go, <laughs> I'm gonna go with uh, live in America. I probably wouldn't live in America okay. again. I, I think I've done, I've done that. I've, 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 I've worn the t-shirt. I've got the badge. <laughs> if you had a warning label, what would it be? Um, too affectionate. Stay clear. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows you best? Um, wife or mum. Yeah. Uh, favorite subject in school? Always, always technology. Always. Mm -hmm. 
or, or theatre studies, maybe one of the two. Uh -huh. Favourite childhood memory? Oh God, I got that's quite a good that's quite a good one. Um, I think I think it's a collective one, but it was always my dad coming home. Uh huh. Nice. Because he worked shifts, so yeah. he was he was in and out at weird times. But I always remember this a very kind of nice feeling of it was you know it might be dark winter night and he'd kind of roll in and he'd always have his dinner later than us because he'd be in later mm. and he'd be in his uniform and stuff and it was just kind of that you're like oh dad's home yeah yeah that 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 for me is quite um quite important yeah so yeah favorite food anything Italian nice. Favourite drink? Anything wet. <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm partial to, um, I don't know, probably my favourite. I, I, do, I do like sort of like a drop of whiskey with some Coke, like, like a, okay. a whiskey and Coke, to be honest. Yeah, not often, but yeah, I do like it. Yeah. Uh, pet peeve? People not wearing their bloody COVID masks properly. <laughs> yeah it's not hard is it no win the lottery or the perfect job lottery because then i'd create my perfect job <laughs> biggest fear oh god um oh god it's quite a morbid one but probably losing everyone that i love is pretty yeah. probably my biggest fear to be fair yeah favorite sport uh, i'm gonna go rugby okay Morning or night person? Probably morning. Proudest moment? Oh, I think all. I think all my children. I think you have to say any any child that was born has got to be your proudest moment, hasn't it? Yeah. Really? Yeah. On a scale of one to ten, how cool are you? Oh, about a four. Oh. <laughs> not not cool at all. <laughs> Dream car? Um, I would re I've always said this. I'd really like a, a, a top of the range Tesla Model S. Oh, nice. Yeah, or or maybe um, I'm trying to think. What's the other one that I really like? Oh, well, uh, it's a Lamborghini. What is it? The Lamborghini Urus, which is like a four by four. Oh yeah, how nice oh, are they? Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah, nice car. Yeah, that's another thing. My youngest said he'd buy me. <laughs> He comes up with some amazing things, this one. Uh, Favourite colour? Uh, probably orange or blue, maybe. Yeah, I'm probably more orange. Mm -hmm. Apple or Android? Apple. <laughs> and lastly, star sign? I'm a Leo. Oh, a Leo. Yeah, yeah, which kind of goes with the extra, hand in hand with the extrovert thing, apparently. So yeah. um, there you go. Okay, go. interesting. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Paul. I've uh, enjoyed our little chat. <laughs> all, <laughs> the way over, all the way overseas. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, let me know how it goes. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, good, good luck with the podcast. I think thank it's uh, really good what you're doing and um, be interested to see, hear the final result. Yeah, yeah. Well, lastly, before we go, is there any um, social media or any causes or anything that you want to promote? I think, I mean, I primarily, I think we've discussed it, but get kids into survey. I think we need to talk about primarily because it, you know, it, yep. it's useful to everyone, um, yep. especially in this market. And um, 
you know, like you said, Elaine's doing a great job. I think the the, you know, the guys involved in the team are doing a great job yeah. and uh, they're obviously spreading awareness. So the more, you know, the more awareness, I'm actually, I'm, a, I'm an ambassador for them. I haven't done as much as I would love to do for them, but mm-hmm. uh, I'll, I will try and help any way I can. Um, social media wise, uh, you know, just search for reality capture guy um, or just Paul Burrows on LinkedIn. Um, but yeah, I've got channels on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn, uh, <laughs> various you know you, if there's a social media channel I've, I've got some form of presence on it and uh, like I said just sharing content that is useful and uh, informative hopefully yeah no it definitely definitely does you do do that quite well quite simple easy to understand it's great good good, good. well thank you for having me Peter thank you and um, yeah well I'll catch up with you soon same time next year Ah, yes maybe (laughs) (laughs) we'll see where we all are then (laughs) yeah absolutely all right thanks so much no worries i hope you enjoyed today's chat with paul join me in a fortnight for another special guest defining boundaries with peter cox